Welcome to Van Gogh Notes for International Business, 11th edition, by Daniels, Radebaugh, and Sullivan. Chapter 1. Globalization and International Business. Section 1. Big Ideas. Globalization has become a buzzword, but just what do we mean by it? Your book calls globalization a deepening of the relationship and interdependence among countries in different parts of the world. You can see the evidence for yourself. From consumer electronics to clothing and foods of all kinds, at home we're surrounded by goods produced in other countries. And when we travel to other countries, we see loads of American products on the shelves, American films and theaters, and American TV programs on the air. So when we talk about globalization, we're talking about international business, firms selling to other countries, operating in other countries, borrowing money or selling shares on other markets, and buying companies in other countries. What are the main factors driving this internationalization of business? Well, many countries seem to be cooperating a lot more on all kinds of issues, getting together to solve problems concerning the environment, transportation, communications, and trade. This cooperation has led countries to lower some of their restrictions on the movements of people looking for jobs in other countries and on the importation of goods. We also see companies competing with companies they never competed with before. This is happening because they're going outside their local traditional area and seeking new customers. They're also looking for new resources like raw materials and components that can be produced more cheaply in other countries. Another force behind globalization is new technologies, particularly in communications. The Internet makes it as easy for companies to communicate with their branches overseas as it is for you to message your friends across state or national borders. With satellite communications and the Internet, you can call an American company and talk to one of its employees based almost anywhere in the world. We said globalization was a buzzword. But that doesn't mean everyone is always in favor of it. You've probably seen or read news reports of demonstrations against globalization at international trade meetings in different parts of the world. But what do these demonstrators have against globalization? One of the major criticisms against globalization is that it threatens national sovereignty. Critics say that nations should focus on taking care of their own people's trade and economic interests instead of encouraging so much competition from abroad. They fear that international agreements make it too easy for goods to cross borders and compete with goods produced in their own country. They also fear that countries are losing the freedom to conduct their own policies and to protect workers and the environment in their own way. Critics of globalization also fear that big international companies are increasing in number and growing powerful enough to dictate their ways of operating in host countries because of the number of jobs they can create. International companies also come under fire because they don't always act like citizens of the country they work in. Their critics say they have a responsibility to create jobs and keep them in the host country. But there are examples of companies that move their operations away after a few years to a country where wages are lower. When this happens, their former workers lose their jobs. Finally, 
globalization appears to be challenging traditional ways of life. Homogenization of products, companies, ways of working, and even language seem to be taking place. Some critics worry that the specific identity of whole peoples and countries is disappearing. Opponents of globalization strongly criticize offshoring. Offshoring means transferring jobs that used to be done at home to a lower-wage country. The call centers of many United States companies are just one example. Another is the fact that IBM and other software companies have transferred a lot of their work in computer programming to India. Critics point out that these transfers mean job losses at home. On the other hand, some say that offshoring increases the competitiveness of firms that use it, and that these firms can then increase the number of high-value jobs they offer in their own market. Okay. Now that we have a better idea of what globalization is, just how is international business carried out? There are three major modes, or forms, that international business can take. 1. Import and export of merchandise. 2. Import and export of services. And 3. Foreign investments. You won't be surprised to hear that the import and export of merchandise is the most common mode of international business. One example is the global cosmetics firm L'Oreal. The second most popular mode is importing and exporting services. International trade in services often seems the most difficult to visualize, and that's only logical, because services are in a sense invisible. The three most important kinds of service imports and exports are 1. Tourism and transportation, 2. The performance of services, and 3. The use of assets. What exactly do we mean by these three kinds of services? Let's look a little more closely at them. First, tourism and transportation probably seem the most obvious to you. But in what sense are tourism and transportation exports or imports? Well, when a French passenger buys a ticket for a flight to the United States on an American airline, that counts as an export for the airline, because it did not sell the trip to a U.S. resident, and the money was paid by means of a foreign credit card. What about performance of services as an import or export? A good example is an American engineering firm performing consulting services on a construction project overseas. That counts as an export for the firm and an import for the overseas country. The last kind of service import or export, use of assets, may sound abstract, but actually you're already familiar with many everyday examples. For instance, because they're such powerful brand names, Printing Disney characters or the Nike logo on clothing in Europe and elsewhere constitutes the use of an asset. The Disney and Nike trademarks are licensed to the clothing firms and earn royalties for Disney and Nike. This use of assets is an export for the American firms and an import for the foreign clothing companies. The third mode of international business after imports and exports of products and imports and exports of services, is foreign direct investment, also called FDI.
when companies that we call multinational corporations, or MNCs, buy assets like land, property, and other companies in foreign countries, they're engaging in foreign direct investment. The last important point to remember in Chapter 1 is that doing business internationally is a lot different from doing business at home. The biggest reason, as many managers operating in foreign countries know or discover, is that political, social, and economic environments in foreign countries are quite different from those they're used to. To give just two examples, there are language barriers to overcome, and the government regulations that firms have to follow differ from country to country. We'll talk about these differences very thoroughly in the following chapters. That's the end of this section.